0: No purchase necessary, void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From API, this is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day.
1: Welcome to Energy Tomorrow Radio. I'm your host, Jane Van Ryan. For the past several weeks, we've all been in a whirlwind of potentially life-changing events. We've seen the stock market lose a significant percentage of its value. The Congress has passed a huge bill to help the economy. The moratoria on offshore drilling have expired. And we've suffered the effects of two major back-to-back hurricanes. And energy policy, which is involved in all of this, has been a very big issue on the presidential campaign trail So what does all that mean to us going forward? To give us the macro view on recent events and what they might mean to us, we've invited Kevin Book, Senior Vice President and Senior Analyst of FBR Capital Markets, to join us here in the studio today. Welcome, Kevin.
0: Thank you for having me, Jane.
1: Glad you could join us. First of all, please help us figure out how the average American consumer might be affected by all of these events. First, the bailout plan. In your view, how will it affect those who've been watching the plan unfold on the nightly news and wondering what it's going to mean?
0: I think the, the analogy that makes the most sense is that uh, you really are now talking about something where it has a trickle-down effect. Everyone is concerned, I think, on, on the Main Street side of the typical dichotomy between Main Street and Wall Street about the idea that Wall Street fat cats are getting bailed out uh, that's not exactly what's going on here. We're talking about a situation where it's become very expensive for businesses of all size to get credit. The only way they can get loans is to pay up for those loans. And that has an effect of slowing down business in general, business everywhere. And so the situation right now is that the at least what is probably the first step in a series of steps has been taken to try to free up some of that credit and get the economy going again. And so the effect may not be obvious, uh, it certainly may not be immediate, uh, but if it doesn't happen, everyday consumers are going to know about it much sooner.
1: How would you assess the overall health of the economy today?
0: The United States is an an interesting entity in that it has offshored many of its basic industrial jobs and become a service economy. The simple description doesn't really get to the heart of what's going on. It's become a high margin economy, become extremely productive at doing some things that are extremely valuable relative to some of the jobs that Americans used to do. On the other hand, the buyers of the services that the service economy produces are globally interconnected, which means that you can't look at the U.S. economy right now in isolation and say, well, things are bad here, but uh, you know, we, can look, we can look to China to bail us out, or we can hope that our friends across the Atlantic will, will be, you know, be, be bustling ahead. Uh, we're very much part and parcel of the global economy, and so where we are right now is incredibly dependent on industrial suppliers overseas, and on the shippers who bring industrial products here for our intermediate goods. We're incredibly important from the perspective of those overseas economies in our innovation and in our communications and technology services. So uh, we're not alone, I think, is probably the best answer.
1: Well, and that leads me to my next question, too, Kevin. Today is Monday, October the 6th, and today it appears that the stock markets around the world are certainly having um, some losses, experiencing some difficulty, how would you assess the overall world economy at this point, considering what you've said about how everything's interconnected?
0: Well, yeah, it goes back to the question of whether or not people are truly pessimistic in the long run or whether they're just scared right now. Uh, One of the tendencies of markets is to move precipitously in mob-like fashion, and nobody wants to be left behind. Uh, One of the other tendencies of markets is that if you're the guy who stopped to tie his shoe when everyone ran the wrong direction, well, when the market turns around, you're first. So uh, it's it's often the case that people overreact in response to short run effects. But when everything everywhere goes down at once, that's known simply and clearly as economic contraction. There are a lot of dollars currently being destroyed every time you see these indices fall globally and here at home in our markets. And that's a, that's a cause for concern. Uh, it's not the end of the world. Uh, again, the person who stops to tie the shoe Now, the person who pauses for opportunity may end up first in the next cycle.
1: As you know, energy is really a key component of our economy. And how important would you say that energy is right now to our overall economic health?
0: We really learned an important lesson, and I should say we relearned that lesson, Jane, because years and years ago, everyone understood very simply that the progress from tribal civilization and banging stones to industrialized society revolved around access to natural resources at low and declining marginal cost. And yet as the price of oil rose and rose and rose, people forgot that oil is the thing that interconnects every transaction in a global economy. If we were just subsistence tribes gathering berries and seeds, well then we wouldn't need petroleum fuels to transport those seeds around, we would be self-contained. Same is true also for the other commodities that compete with oil in contributing BTUs to the global demand. Uh, coal, for, for a brief period of time this summer, became incredibly scarce. And as a result, economic activity started to slow. The cost of doing everything went up all at once everywhere. And the way to avoid that, the way to make sure that your market is well supplied and that the prices are manageable, is to take steps well ahead of crisis and to start thinking about whether or not you're going to be preparing for the growth. Inevitably, the world doesn't usually end and the sun eventually rises, so what is the world doing to prepare for that day?
1: Excellent question, and that brings me to yet another question that's related to that. As you know, the ban on offshore drilling on the east and west coasts of the United States uh, was lifted the other day when Congress did not uh, continue the moratoria against drilling what could that mean to our economic health could offshore drilling have an impact that could perhaps lift up the markets and and prepare us for that next day
0: well i think it it really is a recipe for the future one of the one of the things that's always been challenging to me to explain to clients when i see them in europe and particularly in scandinavia is how the idea of drilling for oil is somehow antithetical to the idea of conservation you have these incredibly advanced industrialized economies that rely heavily on offshore drilling technologies that are extremely clean and efficient and yet are also among the greenest conservation economies in the modern world. And they always wonder, why is it you don't drill the oil you have? Well, the answer is that we probably should. And we should probably look at all of the options and have an, an absolutely level playing field. Think about the offshore as an opportunity constrained only by economics and technology, rather than one artificially made off limits and the best technologies and the best economic decisions will be the ones that the companies private companies today will make rule out that option and you're going to have private companies making expensive investments that are going to be hard to maintain in times of economic scarcity
1: as part of the bailout package that was passed just last week uh, Congress also passed several pr- provisions to extend energy tax credits for alternative energy, including solar and wind and so on, and as in the process of doing that, they raised taxes on the oil companies. Is that a good thing or a bad thing to do at this point in time?
0: It's an unfortunate consequence of the oil industry that it moves in such big numbers. Big numbers make big eyeballs pop, and in times of scarcity, uh, it has always been the case that large industry becomes the first whipping boy of a Congress looking to redistribute wealth to solve a short-term problem. The long-term effects of any of, the, any of the redistributive tax plans that have been outlined, and there's many more of them that didn't pass that still potentially could, is to deter domestic production, to deter investment, and to take away some of the spoils, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, some of the rewards, let me call them rewards, for prescience and investment at the right time, right? countercyclical thinking that is planning for the future. Now, there's nothing wrong with subsidizing new energy sources, and particularly if they're pre-competitive or they're not economic at parity with conventional fuels. But doing it at the expense of the sources upon which we rely, that's not necessarily a good long-term prescription.
1: Some members of Congress have stated that they would like to reimpose this drilling ban, uh, the one that we're talking about that was just lifted a few days ago. If you could talk directly to members of Congress about that issue, what would you say to them?
0: There's a time, and I've been invited, I've had the privilege of testifying several times before committees in Congress, and I've always been rightly respectful uh, because I understand that they are the leaders who make the decisions uh, that drive this country forward. And yet I also understand that they're men and women like anyone else who have an economy to care for. And I would ask them to cast partisanship aside, stop making this a partisan issue. America's natural resources belong to both Democrats and Republicans. And the ability to produce them to create economic growth is an opportunity for both Democrats and Republicans. We saw what happened this summer when concerns about economic growth as a result of high energy prices promoted public outcry. Folks who would previously said they wouldn't consider drilling in a certain place stopped and asked themselves, well, why wouldn't I? And that's a very good question. To drill for oil, you need exactly two things. You need oil and you need infrastructure. The most sensible place to start drilling for the incremental barrels of oil is closest to where you have oil, where you have infrastructure. And even with the lapse in the moratoria that happened this past uh, September 30, uh, even, even then, you still don't have production happening in the areas that are closest to oil and infrastructure, the Eastern Gulf of Mexico and the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Now, you don't need to do an awful lot of drilling with today's technology to get a lot of oil out. So what I would say is, cast partisanship aside, And look for oil where there's oil and where there's infrastructure.
1: Kevin Book, thank you very much for joining us today on Energy Tomorrow Radio.
0: Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit EnergyTomorrow.org. That's EnergyTomorrow.org.